Today is October 5th, 2021. Welcome to Native Calgarian Oki Naganako Mekoche Chestokom Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are assigned um, September 22nd, 1877 for Treaty 7, that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. Um, I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my red robe journey. My elder uh, Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, because Michelle Elliott, an English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian. I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the hair people. Uh, hair as in bunnies and rabbits, not like hair as in hair. <laughs> but it's also the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. Uh, I'm a native to Turtle Island. My Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe uh, in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down my red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you, Masi Cho. Uh, to those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the nat for the latest podcasts and posts on social media. And to my guests, I named it uh, Native Calgarian because I think it's so ridiculous when non-Indigenous uh, introduce themselves as a native whatever. <laughs> so I was trying to take back that term. But, uh, you know, Chief Craig, I'd, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say I'm grateful for today. I'm grateful for uh, the Creator allowing each and every one of us to wake up today. Uh, my name is uh, Greg Dejerle, also known as Piasuino. The thunder bean. You know, I come from uh, a lineage of, uh, of headmen in Frog Lake, uh, but my late father, um, his family, uh, the, the Desirle, that name is borrowed. Um, my, my great great grandfather came from uh, uh, Elephant Stone area in Manitoba and they migrated out here. Uh, they did not take script, I found out. They did not sign treaty. They were forced to take script, sorry. And, uh, you know, and uh, we just buried him uh, due to COVID last week. And uh, he's not suffering anymore. Um, we are the ones that are suffering in this world. And uh, I'm uh, currently in my second term as chief. 
and I did three terms as counsel. I really love my job. Uh, it gives me purpose to get up in the morning to try and improve the quality of life of our people, but also to create hope for our children. And uh, you know what? Each of us, we get up each morning, you got to have hope. And I look at the little children. I look at our elders that have been through so much, you know, and uh, I'm here merely as a guest to provide, uh, I guess, what I know and, and to give uh, my thoughts on um, the orphan wells, the reclam reclamation, the medicines, uh, what it means to, uh, uh, to clean up the land, but also what it meant to have these wells turning and improve the quality of life in Frog Lake. And I'm coming to you from uh, Frog Lake First Nations Treaty 6, Northeastern Alberta. We're probably about 40 uh, minutes or uh, 50 kilometers north of Lloyd Minister along the Alberta-Saskatchewan border. And I say, uh, I say, okay, I say tanse to all of you and uh, good morning. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, Jillian, I'd love for you to introduce yourself too. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My name is Jillian McCurcher and I'm a filmmaker. I was born and raised in Calgary on Treaty 7 territory. Uh, both of my parents are settlers. My dad is, he was born in Saskatchewan, but his family originally came from, I guess, um, Ontario through Scotland. And then my mom is uh, Chinese. And actually, it's in interesting because our family, my mom's side of the family was both actually in Canada earlier than my father's side of the family by working on the railroad as laborers. So uh, I'm, I'm speaking from Toronto Treaty uh, 13, just do out here to do some work before I come back to Calgary to uh, have a baby and <laughs> keep doing some work in <laughs> my home province. So yeah, that, that's a little bit about me. Um, I was born into a family of geologists, so oil and gas is a big part of my history, which is, I think, a big part of anybody who's in Alberta or in Calgary. And I went to school as a chemical engineer and graduated from the University of Calgary in 2013. Worked for a number of years, or actually not very many, only three and a half or four as an engineer at ConocoPhillips, and then was able to pursue my real passion to be a filmmaker once I was laid off in 2016. Wow, that's an incredible backstory. So well, I can't believe it. Thank you. Thank you both for being here to talk about this um, documentary that you had made and is now airing on CBC Gem. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we'll put a link in that as we as we develop this. But why don't you tell me a bit about um, the project and then we'll have uh, Chief Greg, you know, hesitate. Don't hesitate to jump in and, and talk about your role with the with this documentary. Yeah, so I'll just start to give a little bit of um, an overview and background about this project. So the documentary is called Orphaned. It is about, it's a person, it's my personal exploration of how to clean up all of the oil and gas well sites across the province. And on a larger, like on a broader scale across Western Canada, even the States, um, we ask ourselves, how did we get to where we are today? So we have a number of wells which are orphaned. These are wells which don't have an owner to clean them up because they went bankrupt. Uh, the companies went bankrupt. And so uh, luckily in Alberta, we have what's called the Orphan Well Association, which takes care of orphan wells. But Alberta is the only jurisdiction basically in the entire world that has a system in place to take care of orphan wells. So in the rest of Canada, it's on the public dollar to clean up these well sites. 
And we also have about 100,000 inactive wells, which they still have an owner, but they're in imminent need of cleanup. And um, I was just really curious, how did we get to where we are today? What are we doing today? Sure, in the future that all of these, all of this cleanup is being taken care of because estimates range between 40 to $76 billion to clean up all of this infrastructure, um, including stuff which is already in production. So it's a big task. Uh, there's a lot of good work being done. And then, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where, what the project is about. And then, yeah, as I say, a personal exploration. I'm a character in the piece. I take you through it. I talk to all sorts of different people. And um, I even talk to my own dad because I try to make it as personable as possible. Like to me, oil and gas is very personal. It's not just us versus them. It's not some like corporation versus the little guy. It's like within my own family, right? So that's that's the perspective I'm trying to bring. Oh, I can totally relate to all of that, but I definitely want to hear from Chief Craig and, and what, what it was like for you to get a part of this project and how you both met. Well, I just want to say uh, um, I was born into oil and gas as well. Um, the first well was drilled in Frog Lake in 1967 uh, before uh, I was even born into this world. Um, I want to say uh, I'm grateful and thankful for the, the chiefs and the ones that have, have passed on for having that vision, that insight to explore um, oil and gas because it improved the quality of life for our people. And uh, it was a, we were able to build homes, um, arena, racetrack for uh, the horsemen in the nation. Uh, a field house for the youth to exercise and to, uh, you know, uh, get rid of stress and uh, just to offset our programming. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to say that first. Um, I did, uh, uh, working with uh, the Indian Resource Council, I'm a board member there uh, with uh, Stephen Buffalo, Larry Kaida, uh, various leaders throughout uh, Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and even to uh, Ontario. Um, I think just by being that voice and uh, trying to get that carving or that set aside for First Nations was important. I know it was announced, but by holding them to uh, that announcement was key. And how we capitalized on this is the abundance of oil and gas exploration that's been done over the years uh, we were a candidate just like everybody else. If you had uh, two wells, 10 wells, 100 wells, or 600 wells, like in the case of Frog Lake. Um, we still produce today, and uh, we're looking at uh, different uh, technologies because once you cement these wells in, uh, it's pretty hard to, to go back and to produce them because you, are, you cut the well head off, you cement it, you pressure test it, and you cap it. And then you cover it and you soil test and you do your phase ones, twos, decommission, remove the, the tanks, uh, the piping, the skids, a servicer comes in and does all this work. And then um, we're trying to uh, actually, tomorrow is the first of, of uh, the reclamation starting. We'll probably have uh, some sort of pipe ceremony and we'll, we'll uh, ask for, for safety uh, we'll ask for forgiveness uh, from Mother Earth to help her heal and try to put the uh, lease back to or as close to its natural state. 
Killian um, uh, reached out to me, and um, I, I think uh, at the time, I thought it was a great way to, to share our story, uh, for them to come and see firsthand. We invited them to Frog Lake uh, to come and see the nation, the services, the band-owned companies that are, are working, the band member-owned companies that are working, and the joint ventures that we have here. I think it's important that uh, we, uh, as keepers of the land, uh, are on the front line. Um, like Gillian said earlier, um, oil and gas is part of us. I, I ain't gonna uh, sit here and say stuff that ain't true. I drive my truck to work. You know what, all the, all the, the products that are made from oil, the, there's a long list and, and many people don't see that list. You know, I use a few of them today. I use the oil in my truck. I use the shampoo in my hair. I, I use the toothpaste to brush my teeth. And that toothbrush is also probably made of oil as well, oil product. And uh, you know, it, 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 it's sad how we benefit from the oil and gas, but we always point the finger and try and blame. And uh, I think we have to be aware and reconcile with each other and accept the fact we all use it. And I think Canada as the leader in the world in Alberta, we have some of the best and safest technologies. We run cold flow oil here in Frog Lake. First, you have a containment in your tank. You have a, a SCADA system uh, that tells you that the level, it tells you if a burner's out and tells you if your vault is filling up then you can phone a vac truck. Uh, it tells you when your well is down. It tells you uh, all these different things. And then you have uh, another containment of the berm that's, that's a liner and sand and, and then a three foot container. And then the, the third containment is the lease itself that's built to, to handle the spill. I think many people don't know these things so they're, they're quick to judge. If there's a spill, I've been on spills that I would I would walk in, uh, I would walk in the oil, and the containment would contain the oil, and uh, we were cleaning it up with a vac, steamers, wash everything, and return the lease to as close to as the state we can. And uh, you know what? I, I've been an operator. I've been on the service side. And now uh, we've been producing, now I got to wear a different hat to reclaim this. Uh, it reduces our liability. We're very grateful for this program because we could have went uh, belly up too and had uh, hundreds of wells here where some people look at them, they're uh, 250 uh, meters from some homes. You know what, but uh, you know, I just wanted to share a little bit about uh, how I feel and what's happening. And uh, we're very grateful for this program. And um, also at the same time, looking how, how can we still produce oil uh, effectively and safe with this, uh, this the oil price today, it's been the highest in the last seven years. There was a point last year where all these wells were shut in for nine months. We had no revenue coming in from these wells. We're a small producer now in a, in a huge market. You know, you look at, you look at OPEC, you look at the US, you look at Russia, the Saudis, you know, you look at Canada, you look at Fort Mac, 
you look at CNRL, you look at Syncrude, Suncor, and then you look at Frog Lake. We're, we're just producing a few hundred barrels a day. And, uh, you know, uh, we're just a small fish in a huge pond, but that sustains us. It offsets our programming. It improves the quality of life for our people. And, uh, you know what, this program is gonna now allow us to have some people working. We have uh, our PIMI rig going, we have DNL fluid hauling going. Um, we have uh, Wisconsin and a ski going, that's the uh, heavy equipment. And uh, you know what, we're very grateful to have people working because what, what, what we fail to, uh, to see as human beings, we're very fortunate. Us, us that are on this call, our children, if we have children, get to see us go to work. And then we're creating another generation of hard workers where some families don't get to see that. Some of the kids see um, addiction, abuse, uh, just, you know, the parents staying home because the high unemployment rate, because our, our location, our geography, we're 40 minutes away from any town. But how are we gonna compete with these towns for these uh, customer service jobs. So the, the Tim Hortons, the McDonald's and so forth. So we have to create our own economy and uh, create our own livelihood here in Frog Lake. And this is what that program is doing for us. We're able to, uh, you know, have some employment, have a small revenue stream, but have a sense of pride and maybe reclaim the land back to its natural state where kids could uh, ride through that land again on their horses, or we can pick medicines again. Wouldn't that be something if they were able to come back? I don't know if they're gonna be, but you know, I'll be watching myself, you know, as uh, my family, we, we gather medicines and herbs and we practice our culture and our ceremony. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, some good things coming ahead. And I just thought I would start off there. And I thank each and every one of you for inviting me for this call today. Oh, I'm grateful. Oh, and it's the opposite. I want you to keep elaborating this program that you're referring to. Um, do you want to tell folks who may not be aware or who have, who have yet to watch the um, documentary on CBC GEM uh, orphaned, uh, what, what this is like to transition? Well, I, I want to be honest. Um, it hurts me because I think we do a, a, a great job here in Alberta uh, as, as first, not just First Nations, but as Alberta oil companies. We, we, we often get a black eye uh, from environmentalists who drive their vehicles to come and protest. And, uh, you know, this program is helping us clean the land. If, if, if we could afford it, I'd look for alternative technologies to, to produce oil. Because I know the viscosity and the type of oil we have in Frog Lake, uh, you can probably grab it and make a, a ball out of it. It's not a, a light oil, say like in the Middle East or some of these areas down south where it's a medium or light crude. Us, we have heavy sandy oil. And uh, I think this program will allow us to return the, the, the land to its natural state or as close to and provides employment. And that, that's being honest. Um, so I'm, I, I had requested a meeting to, to have a summit of the producers here in Frog Lake and what are their long-term plans? 
and uh, what and with this program, it's going to be around for next year. So why aren't we firing up some wells to uh, to to get a revenue stream, to get some production, to get our numbers up higher, and maybe hire a few more people? And if it don't work out, this program will will be here to help abandon these wells. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, it's key to not just Frog Lake, but it's key to the oil companies because we, incre- we increase their value. When you win, we reduce their liability, we increase, we increase their value as an oil company because that, that liability is now being removed off their books and it's allowing them to do work uh, and do drilling and do, and, and, and I'm hearing some of these oil companies are, are buying, um, other little oil companies. So it's allowing them to do money, uh, to do many things with this money, sorry. And uh, you know what, that's kind of my feeling. It's, it's, a, it's a mixed feeling, but I have to try and balance um, the, the operation of production, but at the same time, take the benefit of this program and to remove the liability and uh, put people to work and also, um, try and take care of the land for the, the kids that are yet to come. Yeah, that I love everything you're telling me. I think that you're in a really wonderful position for a lot of reasons, and I'll tell you, um, because yesterday was October 4th, and we were talking about the action plan that needs to be implemented for the missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit. That I think our reserves always have that um, opportunity to be able to show the government and the rest of the oil companies, this is how you do it. This is the action plan that we're going to have, blah, 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 blah. But more back to what you're talking about, about this program and such. Um, I know federally and provincially, there was uh, talk about moving orphaned and abandoned wells to geothermal um, energy. So, uh, you know, for me, seeing a transition, for especially for our people, is exactly what I want to see for us to feel good and ethical about the work that we're doing. Um, And to give you both context, uh, I obviously was also born into oil and gas. Um, I was born in Calgary, but we moved up to Fort McMurray. My dad is a retired now union boiler banker, and he literally built St. Crude and Suncor up north. And then uh, we, we moved to Sylvan Lake. And um, that was when Joffrey was first opening. And for folks who may never have heard this plant, that was uh, one that processed a lot of plastics. And I remember very distinctly when we went from brown paper bags to uh, shopping plastic bags. And, you know, my um, dad was very proud that, oh, Joffrey was the reason why. But they, ironically, he never ended up working at Joffrey. Um, so he, uh, Boilermakers go all around um, Alberta mainly. Uh, but he would go out of town. And then my husband, he um, he was born from a seismic fellow who run the programs up north. And then uh, my husband was in seismic surveying and then went into Alberta land surveying. And then I went to say to become a drafter in Alberta land surveying. And uh, that's that's kind of our connection. And, you know, when Chief was talking about all of the good that oil and gas had done for his community, Conversely, I believe that's part of the reason why we're having this discussion today, because if it wasn't for oil and gas, I probably wouldn't be in the position to be able to have these conversations at all, frankly, because uh, just the way we were raised in this in this province and moving forward and then uh, the pandemic, my husband was laid off. And ironically, he was headhunted because uh, he did move into procurement supply chain management. 
um, and that's needed for uh, public companies' uh, stocks, stock options, really. So uh, he was headhunted, and uh, then after the pandemic, he lost his, his position, which shocked us both. Um, but, you know, here we are, and we've moved on and have gone into a completely different industry, which he feels more ethically uh, good about, as do I, understanding a little more about um, what oil and gas does more internationally as well. And then, um, you know, locally, I've seen the way some folks behave and understand the connections of missing and murdered Indigenous women a lot more than I wish I did. And um, that that I think is my biggest concern that we have yet to really address. And that's not the point of the documentary. So I apologize for kind of going off a little bit on that issue, but I'd, I'd love to hear more from you, Jillian, and just kind of bouncing off of what uh, Chief Greg was talking about, about this program and why you chose to reach out to him and Frog Lake. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously we all uh, know and agree that we have benefited so much from this, but now as we are trying to transition, you know, some of your thoughts and concerns about that. So yeah, specifically this, the program that Chief Greg is talking about um, is called the Site Rehabilitation Program. And it falls underneath the, so in Alberta, there was a portion of money which was put aside from the federal government's uh, contribution of $1.7 billion to the cleanup of inactive and orphaned wall or inactive and orphaned walls across the Canadian West. So Alberta got $1 billion um, to dole out this program, the site rehabilitation program, which is to assist um, companies that because when the program came out, uh, the price of oil was so low, none of these companies had any money to abandon the wells that they had on their balance sheet or their liabilities. So it was seen as um, the federal government stepped in and said, okay, well, clearly we still need to clean up these wells. Um, land still needs to be put back to its grass state. We can't just like wait around. And that's why um, they said, you know, in, in the meantime, until high price oil returns and companies are able to better pay for this themselves, we can stimulate this cleanup um, with this additional funds. And um, I think what's in is that I think in a best case scenario, like, like in a best case scenario, we wouldn't need to have government stimulus. Like ideally oil companies would have been the ones to like have the money to have been put aside towards cleaning up all of these wells. But the truth of the matter, based on a number of things, it just didn't happen. Uh, so we had to ask ourselves, okay, we, we've learned a lot from the past and why we didn't have the money saved up to maybe do all this cleanup on the oil company's dime. We can take those learnings and change regulation for the future so that we do have things so it's not coming from the public, but for all of those companies and all of these wells that still need to be cleaned up, we kind of have to do it and just like suck it up um, and, and, and do it. And so I think for us to go to um, across the province, it's just really exciting to see that cleanup in this country is still prioritized. We want to see things do well. Um, and we're working together to make it happen. And then I think also we're, we're working together to make sure that cleanup is taken seriously and that we're committed to it long into the future. Like we don't want to, I, I don't think that we as a country or, um, like people who live in Alberta want to just see stuff like wasting away in the natural 
uh, landscape. That's not what we're about. That's not our value. So the documentary is just really talking about our value to clean things up, learning from mistakes when the money wasn't there, putting money towards it through the site rehabilitation program, and then hopefully trying to we do save more money and can um, be resilient in times of volatile oil prices. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Chief, have you seen the documentary? And uh, if you have, what, what have you, what were your initial thoughts? I've seen the trailer. That's as far as I've got. I want to watch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm being honest too. I've seen, I've seen the trailer as well. Um, I, I was going to watch it yesterday. I, I, I got busy, but uh, I, I think uh, when, when I seen the work and, and I know it, it's going to be amazing, mm -hmm. I, I think uh, we're going to educate people and uh, you know it, it's a it's a it shows a wide variety uh, of uh, the aspects that entail um, the SRP here in Alberta and, and I think if uh, people don't know they're going to know and uh, I think even it's uh, it's uh, it's an education tool because a lot of people, even in my nation here, they think these these wells produce 24 hours a day. They think that these wells don't just become water jerkers. They, they don't know that these wells sand in because we're drawing sand, water, and oil, not just oil. And, and I, I think uh, you know, like anything, it'll it'll be a good educational piece. Yeah. Well, even for my daughter, you know, she doesn't, uh, obviously, she's not going to be born into the oil and gas industry. Uh, her generation will be the first one that isn't. So uh, trying to explain how, you know, my family, her uh, both sides, and then my husband's both sides, um, how they were integrated in the system. I think it's really important for her to understand we, we didn't come from a place of, uh, you know, bad will and the opposite. It actually was... I, all of the uh, underfunding and gaps that uh, we get from in Indian Affairs, you know, that bigger picture of that, this was a way that creative um, res, uh, res like yours uh, was able to move forward. And, you know, Chief, I, I just want to kind of emphasize for folks who don't understand Indian politics, how like you are like our mayor that that's taking your time to talk to us. So I, I have a deep respect for the work that you're trying to do as just in, within your community, you know, navigating Indian politics, but then moving forward with uh, oil and gas in order to try to better your community. Those are a lot of hats to wear and a lot of work to do. And I have a, a deep respect for what you and your council are trying to do in order to create a better world for your community. So I just I want you to know how much I appreciate your time and, and I'm grateful that you contributed to that um, documentary because Jillian, one of the things I wish that we see more of, and I, I don't know how to undertake this, but I know that there are other indigenous and in media who do that really need to look at the oil and gas from the perspective of the Indian council that works together on, on this, because it, it is actually its own, it, it's an incredible uh, network of reserves up in Northern Alberta specifically, but even here down in the blood tribe, they do a lot of production as well. So it would be really great to, um, 
really talk about what oil and gas from the Indian point of view really is. And I use that terminology because we're still embedded in the Indian Act, or the Canadian Constitution under the Indian Act, but obviously that's not the appropriate term for non-Indigenous to be using. But that bigger picture that there's a huge infrastructure there that's really unseen, that um, you know that they have to uh, pivot and adapt in a Western white economy that wasn't ever intended for them to benefit from it, but yet somehow managed to make this incredible infrastructure. So I uh, just wanted to ask you, Jillian, as you kind of was, as you unpack this documentary a bit, did you kind of see that world um, that maybe a lot of people aren't exposed to? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that because I did work in industry, I had, I was more sensitive and aware of the complexities that happen within the oil and gas industry and some of the the difficult, uh, the difficult choices that people have to make, especially in semi-remote communities like Frog Lake. I would say that what was most interesting in the making of this documentary was that our crew, none of whom have, uh, they're not, they're not in the oil and gas industry. They're, they come from different backgrounds. Um, they were, they learned a lot when we visited Frog Lake and talked to the various people who we did there. We spoke to um, an elder, Agnes Abraham, and then. We did speak to uh, some folks who actually work at PIMI, although they didn't make it, it was not personal. We talked to like 20 people and had to make a 45 minute documentary. It's like crazy to have to like slim it down. We also spoke to two young women, um, Casadea Marty and Kira Saddleback. And uh, I think what was interesting to our crew is that they were expecting something, they were expecting one thing um, and actually saw a lot more complexity and nuance in the conversation about oil and gas, especially from the young people where they were, they did talk about, you know, like feeling guilty or being worried about the future, but also like acknowledging that oil and gas has given so much uh, prosperity and opportunity and privilege. So it's showing that it's a very complicated thing. Like I think undeniably there's a lot of like, they spoke from their heart saying like, sometimes I feel really sad about like, the land because, and even for myself, like it can be very painful to see what oil and gas extraction can do to the natural world. But at the same time, like we also like don't like what else, there's not as many options or choices out here as might exist in a place like Toronto. Mm -hmm. So I think that for, especially for my crew, that was really eye opening for them because I think it's really easy when you're in a city to say, oh, well, you could just do this. It's like not everywhere, like not all of us live in it in like the GTA, not all of us live in a place like Calgary. So um, yeah, I, it's been really good. It's been really interesting speaking to, to be invited to Frog Lake and to have people like Chief Greg be so open. And I think my biggest takeaway was that all of us can learn a lot from the past and we all want to learn from the past and make our choices better for the future. Mm -hmm. And I, we hope that people will afford us and allow us to make, to learn from our mistakes, because I think it's really easy to be angry about things that went wrong. But of course, like, it's not like anyone intended for these things to happen. Like when you learn, you just, they happen. And then you're like, I'm sorry, we're going to try to make it better. So yep. the, again, the goal with the documentary was try to like, acknowledge anger but also say let's move past that and make some like really positive changes and a space where we can talk and cooperate as lots of different people all right um you know one of the things so i've 
uh, conversely, I've definitely led the, um, you know, anti-trans Canada pipelines in front of their um, office buildings in downtown Calgary. And I think what you brought up about the anger is so important because um, what I also found, uh, you know, full transparency, I'm definitely a federal liberal. Um, the barriers that I've seen, uh, whether it was Harper's government or whether it's the new, uh, well, newer <laughs> liberal government, you know, the, there's barriers. And, and then, of course, when you have somebody who's, uh, you know, in charge of the province that's not willing to work together in any capacity, how, you know, that ego train that's happening between federal and provincial jurisdiction, people don't see how it negatively, adversely affects Indigenous people and especially folks in like Chief Craig's position that's trying to do this incredible, uh, in Calgary here, we call it edge walking, where you're walking in white world and, and indigenous world. And you're doing it uh, twofold, obviously in the oil and gas industry, as well as with Indian politics as well. So, you know, I, I just I, any lasting thoughts that you wanna say about anything, you're more than welcome to uh, uh, say, I've really appreciated all your time that you've already given me chief. So anything else you'd like to add, you're more than welcome to any, and any direction that you wanna go as well. Um, I just want to say, uh, Michelle, uh, I, I thank you for, uh, you know, uh, thanking me for my time. Yeah, I, I guess we are similar to the town mayor or, uh, you know, the city mayors. Um, but what we don't have is the access to, uh, I, I guess, their team. And uh, so I have to wear many hats and uh, we have to operate on our, our, our budget here. That's it's 40 years old and it doesn't increase with inflation or the population growth. Yeah. Uh, and that's what mainstream don't see. They only see when the, the Canadian government makes an announcement like 1.2 billion. But let's don't forget there's 600 plus First Nations across Canada. So that, that billion becomes millions. And, and then it gets funneled to Ottawa and probably uh, regional offices in Winnipeg, Regina, uh, Vancouver, probably Edmonton and so forth, Toronto, and then trickle down to the First Nations. And uh, they're probably their O&M is taken out of there, probably their pension and, and stuff like that. Whereas a chief, if I get booted out tomorrow, I don't have a pension. I got to go back and, and try to uh, stay in shape and go back on the service rig. Um, I, I think uh, what's important is um, the oil and gas and what has it created for Frog Lake. Frog Lake, we also, uh, we also own some land in Lloyd and uh, 140 acres uh, prime land along Highway 16. Um, we also sell uh, uh, power to Strathcona, which is the Lindbergh plant, which produces 18,500 barrels a day. We sell them power. So we are also in the power business. And uh, since my tenor, we did not, sell anything. We adjusted to the economy. Uh, we, uh, we took cuts. We, uh, we just kind of just trimmed the gristle off the stake. Say we had to adjust. I had to have a plan coming in as the chief and uh, bring us in a different direction. Part of the direction we talk about out here is healing. Healing Mother Earth, like what we're doing with the SRP, but healing our people, spiritual healing we all have a spirit, each and every one of us. And some of us have two or three helpers. And my father always says that, be careful how you, my late father used to say, be careful how you treat people because you don't know who's walking with them. Mm. 
you know, and we have to uh, to try and to work with the federal government, the provincial government, and uh, I believe First Nations are part of the the solution, not the problem. You know, it's 2021 in here. We still have boil water advisories uh, throughout this great place we call Canada, who 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 is looked at as a, a foreign aid country, and we we forget to take uh, care of. Uh, um, the First Nations people who uh, in the 1800s signed this peace treaty to coexist with, with the foreigner, you know, and moving along the line, trying to remove the livelihood away from us. Uh, we're, we're very resilient people. We're not going anywhere. Uh, but a big part of uh, what really uh, kind of uh, hurts our people and why we live in poverty you look at the 1930-ish, 1931 NRTA, the Natural Resource Transfer Act, where uh, that was not surrendered by the First Nations. Um, you look at uh, you look at that would probably uh, that would probably bankrupt Canada. You look at all the resource extraction from Alberta alone, and how it was able to uh, um, finance Canada. And the First Nations do not get uh, money from the royalties of, of province. Uh, we might get an odd sign here and there, and uh, you know you might get a resurfacing of some cracks in the road every ten years. If you're loud enough, you might get uh, you know uh, some resurfacing done every fifteen years. But these roads, you know what, it's sad. I often say you can, you can tell when you hit a reserve on some reserve or gravel road because the grader turns around on the county road and heads back the other way. And, and that's how we are divided in this country. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we need to do a better job as human beings to pull each other along. And, uh, you know, I, I know, uh, you know, you said to go off in any direction. I just wanted to educate some of the people. It, it, it's not all... Uh, money and gold and, and diamonds in, in these reserves. It, it, it's uh, it's poor infrastructure, poor housing, and lack of employment, and uh, the, the same social ills uh, of meth, amphetamines, prescription drugs abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, because of the generational trauma. You look at these uh, these unmarked graves that were found. How, how some of these kids did not make it home and the, the amount of kids that didn't make it home, that, that's a crime scene and, and no one has been charged. And, uh, you know, you look at my, my, my ancestors that went to residential school, the ones that were plucked out of home, the day school, the 60s school, that were given $10,000. You look at Omar Gaddafi, the millions of dollars that he got you look at the little, the kids that were out, out east, that uh, there was this claim that were getting millions of dollars for, for, for their claim. And yet my people, that $10,000 is, is, is like $100 today. Oh. And, yeah. you know, and uh, it ain't going to fix their hurt. People were sexually, emotionally, verbally abused. Some of them lost their virginity there at these schools. And... Some of them didn't even make it home. Um, I know an elder, I held a function here two months ago because I wanted to have these people to speak. One elder told us they were, they were told to write a letter with all the same stuff. 
hi, mom and dad, this is so-and-so. Don't worry about me. We are doing okay here. Love so-and-so. And you, you know, those letters probably didn't even make it home. And, and many of those kids didn't make it home. You know, and, and a lot of these places, uh, they had incinerators and uh, some of these kids were burnt. Yeah. And, and yet a lot of people say, oh, you Indians, you should get over it by now. You know what, that, that, that's, a, that's an act of genocide in our own backyard here and yeah. in the yeah. land of milk and honey, it's supposed to be of Alberta in Canada. And uh, you know what, uh, the creator sees all this, the God that, that created all of us and the creation stories that go along with this. You know what, and uh, I just wanted to share some of these things and educate real quickly because you know what, we are good people. We are kind. Sometimes our kindness has been taken advantage of. And uh, you know, I just wanted to say it was a it was a very uh, quick quick hour here uh, to share some things and, and to share from my knowledge and my heart with both of you. But most importantly, um, I, I want to say thank you to uh, you, Michelle, and to Julian, because uh, this SRP program is reducing our liability. It's allowing us to clean up, you know, uh, these roads, these leases, the infrastructure in the ground. And uh, at the same time, being thankful for what it has done for our people. Because uh, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a chief. Uh, I've been called Indian Act chief. And what I, what I got out of that is I deliver the Indian Act's poverty to my people. And I'm trying to break away from that stigma and uh, help my people heal within and, uh, you know, have, have young people partake in ceremonies in the language and, uh, you know, the ceremonies that we have here and uh, gather medicines and be proud of who they are. Because it's hard to, uh, to be proud of, of who you are because of some of the abuse that our people have been for the last decades, you know, 150 years. But uh, I think what my job is, is to, to break that, uh, that generational trauma. I have grandchildren and uh, I try and teach them without uh, physical, physical strapping or spanking. I try and uh, break that, that, that uh, barrier down, even that, that, that sexual abuse. You know, I, I will not hurt my, my grandchildren like that. And I just want to say that in closing, it's up to us in, 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 to walk together in harmony as human beings. Um, you know, we're, we're not the same color, of, uh, shades of skin, but inside we are all the same. And I want to thank you each for listening to me. And uh, I'll just listen to Jillian. I want to just thank you both for this time. I'm so humbled and grateful to, that you would share about that. Um, my family went to Fort Providence um, Indian Residential School, and they were pre-TRC, had the um, graves, like a huge monument for all of the folks that had died there. And, um, you know, I, this last six months have been really hard on our communities because all of our survivors are re-traumatized. And for folks like me talking about these issues, I was so angry because I, I felt so gaslit. Um, but of course, Siksika Nation, in their generosity, allowed me to be uh, with them on Canada Day, which really was 
um, healing for me to hear um, the chief from Taoistness First Nation. He just happens to have a sister from Siksika and he was there and uh, we were having ceremony in front of the uh, Indian residential schools that day and talking about the work that was already done and I got to meet those archaeologists that are doing that work and um, it's this is uh, and, and I also don't want to diminish your role. Um, you know, I, I, rather than look at you as a mayor, it's like uh, if we, we looked at Europe and seen the, you know, president uh, and or prime ministers of each nation and then decide we're just going to erase them and their role, but we're just going to call it all Europe and we just have one prime minister in charge of all of Europe and, you know, really diminishing kind of the point of our nations like we have over 600 nations in Canada alone. Um, you know, I, I, so I just I want to I want you to know as a as a young indigenous girl talking to one of her elders from a different nation how much I respect what you know working a nation as opposed to like running a mini country as opposed to uh, what other people get and then when you were talking about the money that gets distributed between the over 633 nations I mean you know, we don't talk about transfer payments that go to Calgary for, um, you know, typical money and revenue that they get. And, and they get, you know, as you said, increased budgets and, you know, um, over, they have at least two years of knowing <laughs> what their budget's going to be so they can plan. So I just don't want to diminish in any capacity the, how hard your job is. And, and I really enjoyed what you said about the, um, you know, moving away from the imposed poverty of the Indian Act and that role that you have to wear under that system but seeing that way bigger picture of helping people know who they are their identity their culture their spirituality and and trying to improve life in such a better meaningful way so just thank you from the bottom of my heart chief and um and jillian i'd love to give give you the floor as well and and you know anything you want to promote about your documentary but also anything else that you want to add to the, what you're hearing from uh chief and i please go ahead thank you so much it's been Really, really wonderful to be invited to this podcast and to reconnect with Chief Greg because it's been a couple months since we last saw each other. Uh, what I can say is, um, yeah, the documentary really, it was just about, I just wanted to impart how important cleanup is and returning the land back to its natural state and talk about some of the things that we've learned that have stopped us from being able to do that and some of the things which are um, some of the things that we, we can do to ensure that cleanup always happens so that we have intergenerational equity that we can give back or think of and include seven generations ahead of us. So it's not just about making a quick buck now, it's about putting things back and cleaning up so that, you know, again, seven generations down the line, they aren't the ones who have to clean it up without the resources that we do have today. And um, again, I'm just really thankful to Chief Greg for inviting my crew uh, or our crew up to Frog Lake Nation because I think uh, for many people who have watched this documentary, um, they actually don't have the same, um, they might not have the same exposure or the same, they, they might not be hearing from uh, Indigenous perspectives as much as they should be. Um, we're still in a time where it can feel quite sequestered, like sick. your news sources can feel quite sequestered, like it's really hard to hear different voices. So I'm very thankful that we were able to spotlight Frog Lake First Nation and include it in our documentary so that people can see a wide variety of voices, not only from industry, not only from like farmers, but also from, um, you know, the First Nation people who like are guardians of the land. So 
I think that that was a huge benefit to this documentary. And I think um, way more inclusive about who is in Alberta and like who benefits from cleanup. And also if we don't clean up, what, who gets harmed by that. So all in all, I'm just very thankful and grateful. I've learned a lot through making the documentary and shooting it. And um, I hope I get to do it again. Oh, that's grateful. I'm so grateful to hear your perspective. And, uh, you know, as a Chinese Calgarian, my, uh, so my Dene uncle married a Chinese woman uh, who was born in China and came here to Calgary. And uh, so my cousins are Chinese and Dene, but when you ask them where they're from, like they could answer either or. And it, <laughs> so, it, you know, we have so much commonality and I'm so grateful that you, you told so many different aspects of, of this documentary and, and a little bit about who you are and shared who you are. And it was wonderful to see two friends kind of reconnect on this podcast and have this open conversation with you both. So um, I'm going to do my exit and you're both welcome to chime in in any way that you'd like. Um, I do the same entry and the same exit because um, I'm going to hit a different demographic of folks with, with both of you being on my show. So I can't thank you enough. And, um, and yeah, hopefully we'll be having more conversations and more documentaries and more great things coming out of Frog Lake that we can talk about. So you're welcome on my show anytime, either one of you for any projects coming up. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm really proud that this podcast has given solutions and given cultural safety, cultural first aid to almost all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of colour, those with disabilities and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Uh, if you were to Google uh, cultural safety training or cultural first aid, you would come across uh, what is Indigenous cultural safety by uh, Cheryl Ward. Uh, Chelsea Branch and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca uh, for folks who are interested in learning more about that. Their work are cultural action tools that I've said over 100 times in my podcast, so please support Indigenous work like that as part of reconciliation and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of uh, violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experienced by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. We got to hear a little bit about um, that terminology from our chief here talking about uh, the idea that, uh, you know, you're the chief of imposing poverty through the Indian Act. Like that's an example of that internalized racism when I talk about the Indian Act. And of course, uh, residential, and I hate schools as that terminology, but we still use it. Uh, what is internalized racism by Donna Bevins, but if anyone were to Google internalized racism, if you're uh, not white, I encourage you to do that so that we don't become the oppressors of our own people. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by Canadian or by American Friends Service Committee. Uh, that's uh, some more information. So like if you see a Muslim or maybe anti-Asian racism, you a little know a little more what to do. Acttoendracism.ca is a coalition of um, anti-Asian racism that came here out of Calgary, you can text at 587-507-3838 to get that information about um, reporting any, any racism that you see. Indigenous people have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, so it can be regularly disregarded and no more. Honor our words, honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms, and I'm just going to segue I'm getting um, all of this propaganda from the folks running here in, in Lethbridge. And, you know, I see things like, uh, oh, we're going to uh, work together so that it, we're going to build our strengths. If you're not acknowledging systemic racism, you aren't working together and you're not representing me. And I'm not seeing 
you know, land acknowledgements. I'm not seeing endorsements from anyone Indigenous. So I know you're not for all of us. You're still just for the majority. Um, listen to politicians and their platforms, policies, and their propaganda. And if they don't recognize marginalized with uh, gender equity plus, uh, they are cutting provincial, uh, violence prevention program services, Indigenous education. Um, so the curriculum, if they're not, uh, if they're still denying Indigenous genocide, uh, what well, uterus health choices, anybody still talking about pro-life stuff? Hola. Uh, gay straight alliances, cutting those services, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote is going to impact negatively marginalized folks demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism in educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say that. Uh, demand that they uh, demand change from election platforms and politicians if they even your school trustees folks if you are uh, about to vote in Alberta these school trustees they need to know that they have to fight against this UCP government about the curriculum and include Indigenous um, Indian residential school education if they don't understand colonialism racism privilege and sexism they have zero business running should be understood by all parties politicians community organizations sports clubs even there's an orange Jersey shirt campaign happening. So folks really should know better. A uh, great article I said out loud is truth before truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. So if you just Google, how do I be an ally to Indigenous people? Now there's tons of resources available. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for a Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. You can also text them on their website at hopeforwellness.ca. If more related to Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit that have gone missing or murdered, you can call 844-413-6649. Uh, this is a national toll-free 24-7 crisis line. For non-Indigenous, there are distress centers in your area, usually a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. And there's also a 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. And you can look online at Survivor Driven for more information. If you see or experience racism, act to end racism or text at 587-507-3838. They're really great. And they put out a great article about how um, there's a senator who's Asian who was experiencing racism talking about uh, the two Michaels that just came out. And I shared it on my website. I encourage people to follow this website, get on their email list so that you know, if you're Indigenous, you still need to know what other communities are experiencing for racism. I want to give a shout out to the Trevor Project. They have lots of resources for those who identify as LGBTQ2+. Um, Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868. That even helped me. Lifevoice.ca has a lot of these LGBTQ2 plus crisis supports. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, and most importantly, to give Indigenous a voice that they've never had experienced in the Canadian construct. Um, we experience a lot of uh, surveillance 
and a lot of folks are unaware our protests, our vigils, our rights are under constant surveillance. We deal with microaggressions, internalized racism, gatekeepers, and we really just want to start working on all of these issues in order to move forward as a country for the next generations. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny and my mama, what strength looks like through your example, my numerous aunts and uncles that will actually will school me any day of the week. Um, my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots, teaching me to be a proud Calgarian is through her. I'm a, a second generation Calgarian. Uh, thank you to my husband, Darcy, for editing and producing this, this show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend and the father of our child. He has supported me down my journey of the red road and has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and a stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to highlight these present day issues. My patron account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching, you can afford to give. Thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I have a YouTube channel. You can subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for any of the uh, latest uh, podcasts, book club, all sorts of stuff. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening. <laughs>